And uh, boy, baptisms. Uh, you know, on baptism Sundays, you should come to both services. And when we're at three, go back to three services because it's just like, it's so fun. I mean, just uh, on multiple counts. I mean, here's somebody who's come, come into the kingdom and they're identifying with Jesus. And, uh, and Carrie to see you up there and they're all choreographed with white. That was pretty neat too. Was that, was that your wife's idea? Very nice. Um, and actually, you know, the, and the white even, you know, uh, uh, though your, Isaiah 118 says, though your sins are as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. So there's symbolism there of the cleanness that Jesus gives us over. And when, and when you started, uh, when you came up there, I was just, I had to wipe my eyes. Happy tears. You know, and, uh, and it's just like, you know, when you go to a wedding and you're there with your spouse and you're watching the front. I hope when you're at a wedding with your spouse, it's somebody else getting married, but I hope it's like your opportunity to renew your vows. Like squeeze your spouse's hand and say, yeah, yeah, all over again, honey, I would do that. And, and that's with a baptism, you know, and, and it fits so well with the no turning back, you know. Uh, and yet then, when it has been some years, there's also the incredible uh, uh, humility of the grace of God because, boy, since I gave my heart to Jesus way back in 1973, there's been times I've turned back. And I sang the song. I think I sang the song when it was first written and people sat around campfires cross-legged and strummed guitars. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, but God keeps taking us back. The same grace of God that saved you and me is the same grace that he renews a relationship with us. As often as we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And uh, praise God for that goodness. Uh, as was stated, I'm Dave Grolo. I'm privileged to be a part of a staff chaplain team, wonderful team of chaplains, Samaritan's Purse. Uh, wasn't on my radar, but apparently was on God's to, to relocate uh, me and my wife here a little over a year and a half ago from... Uh, uh, pastoring in Chicago for many years and then up near the Illinois-Wisconsin border. We've got uh, uh, three great uh, grown children and uh, uh, the oldest is single. The next two are, are, uh, are married and we've got five and a half grandchildren. Uh, the half is still cooking in my daughter. And uh, it's kind of like, you know, we could have microwave babies. But you know, when you have a meal, meal's much better when so it's been like slow cooked. A lot of attention. So I think that's why we've got the nine months. You know, so, hey, when we get that baby under the Christmas tree, he or she is going to be, you know, uh, ripe and ready and celebratory. So uh, we're grateful to be here today. Uh, Romans chapter, uh, oh, I know what I was going to say. I said this in first service. I should say it now so I don't mess up the message, which I probably already have. But in Romans chapter uh, 15, you can turn there. We'll be there in a minute. I was going to thank uh, uh, Scott for uh, allowing me to... Uh, to be here today and be a part of uh, the speaking team this summer during his sabbatical. And, uh, and we did, when we first came here a year and a half ago, this is what I said in first service. When we first came here a year and a half ago, we said, we got to find a church. You know, so we did the church shopping thing, which is awful. I mean, I just, I hate church shopping. And it was like, God's going to have to find us something sooner than later because I don't like this game, you know. And uh, anyway, we came here and uh, just loved the music and the people, and I love Scott's preaching. And, uh, but that wasn't the question. I mean, I had been the pastor for many years, and uh, I thought, I know this is going to sound really biased to some of you, especially if you're young, but I thought, I don't know if I can have a pastor that's like 35 years old. 
Uh, not that they can't preach and teach, and the pastoral staff here that is young and talented, man, I can grow a lot from listening and watching them, but, but not only could Scott communicate the word, but I said, I need a pastor who can help direct my life in a love relationship with Jesus. Uh, and, uh, uh, and Scott graciously uh, uh, bought my breakfast one morning, and, um, and we, we talked, and I thought, I came home and told Brenda, I said, you know, we can go there, because not only, of course, you hear him preach, uh, but I said, Here, here's a guy who can, can direct my life because he has a passion for Jesus Christ. And he will guide and direct, and that's what you need in a church. You not only need good preaching that's anchored in the authority of the Word of God, but you need leaders and all the pastoral staff and the board. Um, but in particular, whoever the senior pastor is, in this case, Scott Andrews, uh, that, that has a, a passion for Jesus and will lead, direct your soul in the things of Jesus Christ. And that happens from the pulpit, but, but Scott and Tana, I know that happens in your life. So uh, uh, thank you. Now, Romans chapter 15, beginning at verse uh, 5. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Uh, Lord, have your way in our hearts. With your word, by your spirit, we pray. Amen. Um, when I looked at the theme, the theme for the year is building community. In particular, this summer theme is life together, community together. What's it mean to be a family of faith? And looked at some of the topics uh, that others were speaking uh, I, uh, I had uh, already been digging through Romans and some other New Testament books, and this wherefore accept one another stuck out to me. And I thought, uh, as I pondered that, I thought life together embraces diversity. Life together embraces diversity. Now, unless you get fearful of that word diversity, because in our culture we've been hijacked. So many good words have been hijacked, you know, by our culture. Diversity is a great word if you understand it, but in our culture anymore it means no values, anything goes, uh, whatever anybody thinks is okay all on an equal footing. That's not what Paul is talking about when he says accept one another. And it's, it's not what I mean when I say embrace diversity. To embrace, uh, accept can be too trite. I mean, we can say, yeah, I accept you. Uh, the, the, the people who were baptized in last service in this, we accept them into the family of faith like, like a formality. Uh, which it starts with that, but it can be and should be much more. And in the family of faith, an embrace is the concept that Paul was getting at here when he said, accept one another. And accept one another didn't mean everybody that is just like you. The church in the first century, particularly the church in Rome, it was probably the most eclectic uh, city in the whole world, uh, larger than even the cities in China at that time, and uh, very cosmopolitan. Uh, cosmos worldwide. It represented people from all over religious convictions and backgrounds and social convictions and backgrounds. Uh, probably, uh, depending on who you read, at least 800,000 people. Could have been up to 2 million people. Out of that pool of people, there was a huge slave class. Possibly a third to a half of those people would have been in the slave class of people. And uh, slavery, uh, uh, unlike our institutions in more recent years, was not based on your nationality or your race. It was based on where you were born, whether you were brought in as a prisoner, or perhaps you were born into a slave class. Uh, 
and like India today, very difficult to get out of. Uh, they did have manumission uh, for some, if you had a generous owner uh, that wanted to allow you to earn your right for your freedom uh, uh, later on, probably at least age 25, probably a little bit older, but that didn't apply to everyone. And if you could get out, you still carried this huge stigma that you had been a slave. So this nascent church, this beginning church in Rome with this vast, and plus different people from radical different backgrounds. I mean, some had come from the paganism where they'd been worshiping all kinds of false gods. Some worshiped no gods except maybe Caesar, at least in public. Uh, Caesar is Lord. Uh, you, you had uh, those that had come from the, the Jewish faith that were still holding on to some of their traditions, but had completely embraced Jesus. That's why in chapter 14, uh, he begins with the same words, chapter 14 and verse 1. Uh, Except the one who's weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. Uh, the gray areas of life. That is, when you say diversity, you say, we like different kinds of music. I may get up, uh, my habit is uh, first thing in the morning, get my coffee and my Bible and weather permitting, which, praise God, it does here like, you know, all but six weeks of the year, go out in the corner of my porch and, uh, and that's where I meet with God. So everybody should do that, right? Maybe not. I mean, the, the, the point is there are differences of expression that still draw people to Jesus, and they're diverse. And the invitation here is to say with a diverse group of people, with diverse mindsets and backgrounds, you come together. Now, now again, this, this is not to say uh, Paul is soft on sin, anything goes. I mean, back in chapter 6, he says, you know, those who have been freed by sin, how can you who've died to sin still live in it? So it isn't being soft on sin. Paul's not soft on sin when he says, embrace diversity, accept one another. Uh, uh, and it isn't this, this uh, what we have today in our culture, the highest value being tolerance. Several years ago, I read uh, the late Chuck, Col Chuck Colson's book, uh, The Faith. Still, I think it's a great classic that you, if you get a chance uh, to read through. And, uh, and I loved what uh, Colson said about uh, 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 tolerance. He says, we've come into a postmodern era that rejects the idea of truth itself. Tolerance, falsely defined as putting all propositions on an equal footing, as opposed to giving all, all ideas an equal hearing, has replaced truth. Now, let me just pause there for a second. Uh, because I'm glad I live in an e pluribus unum, many, out of many one, culture that says people can speak up, freedom of speech. We ought to be able to express what we want and practice our religion as we want. And if we shut that down, then we'll be shut down as believers. So, so people should be able to express whatever they want to express. But in our current culture, tolerance says all that is equal. Paul's not saying to accept and embrace the diversity that says whatever you want to believe about Jesus, the Bible, faith, sexuality, your mores, all that's, I'll accept it too. No, I will listen, and I want you to listen to me, but we as believers come back to a base standard that says God's values are God's values, and they're not changing with the winds and waves of culture. Uh, Colson continues by saying, millions acquiesce to the all beliefs are equal doctrine for the sake of bettering their social position and our values free, a thin no one culture. But to succumb to indifference is not to accept a tolerant, a liberal view of Christianity. It's to embrace another religion. 
Paul's very careful, even in this passage, just before he says accept one another, to make it clear that that's not what he's talking about. Because in verse 5 he says, May the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another. Uh, the phrase there for same mind means to think, as, as you evaluate life and who you are and what you're about, you ought to be thinking in the same way. But he doesn't end the sentence there. He says in verse 5, grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. According to Christ Jesus. According to the gospel you've heard. According to the Ten Commandments. According to the authority of the Word of God. That's our basis. In fact, when he wraps up this book with his grand benediction in chapter 16, beginning of verse 25, and, and I won't read the whole benediction, but it's phenomenal. Verse 25 in chapter 16 says, Now to him who is able to establish you. That is, this is your foundation. This is, this is the God who has given you something eternally stable to hold on to. Now may the God who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to elaborate that that's come through the prophets and what we're anchored on. My, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the preaching of Jesus Christ is our standard. So when we say we're going to embrace diversity, uh, uh, do life together with people who are different, what we're in, in harmony on is the authority of the Word of God, the death, resurrection. That's why, in fact, uh, I had suggested if they wanted to do the Apostles' Creed today as they programmed this, they said, well, do the Apostles' Creed. You know, by the end of the second century, not everyone had a written Bible, of course, so uh, that's how creeds are developed, so people could recite and memorize the basics, the foundations that they would have in common. So people from, with diverse tastes and interests could come together and say, why are we all together? Why do we do baptisms? You know, even today, people say, why do you do baptisms? That's kind of corny. You get wet in front of people. Because it's in the Bible. It's, it's our step of obedience. That's why we do it. And by the way, if you haven't been baptized, you ought to be baptized. It's not this church's idea. It's God's idea. That hasn't changed. I mean, if you believe the Apostles' Creed, and you leave, then get baptized. And it's, and it's just, uh, it, it's, it's life-changing when you take a stand for Jesus Christ and you're able to do that with other people. And even when you fail and fall, you can come back to that commitment to Christ and come back to his grace. Um, I shouldn't have talked about baptism. That's why, Scott, you script your, your sermons because now I lost my point. But it, uh, uh, so the diver oh, the Apostles' Creed, yeah. I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, and, and I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, born of a Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, buried. Do you believe that? I believe that, and I believe he's coming back. And that's why we're together. That's why we're together. Um, about uh, six weeks, no, maybe it's two months ago now, I had the privilege of being a part of a uh, Operation Christmas Child shoebox distribution uh, in the Philippines. And, uh, and by the way, thanks for doing shoeboxes. I'll tell you what, some of you that have been able to be on the other end, and not too many are, but what a privilege. I mean, every shoebox, the kids not only get a gift to say somebody loves you, but they hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We can tell you the good news that somebody loves you and wants to offer you an eternity. So I'll tell you this. By next Christmas, you ought to be baptized and you ought to do a shoebox. Uh, 
So one of the nights of the distribution, uh, Lee Fisher is uh, uh, one of the, uh, uh, in one of our uh, network offices. She's one of the regional directors, and she stood up one night halfway through the week, and she said at our evening session, she said, you know, it dawned on me today that the only difference between me and all these other people here, not just the kids, but the, the people in the Philippines, she says, the only difference between us is when and where we were born. She said, I never really thought about that. Well, who caused them to be born in the Philippines and who caused me to be born here? I guess a God who believes in diversity, differences, distinctions, differences in taste. The missionary team uh, that just was in Belize, I think. Is that where you get the, the team went? There was a team of Belize. There's a team in Asia now. Uh, you know, they're going to worship with groups and their Sunday worship is going to be very different from what we do here. And it's kind of easy to embrace that, to accept that, because it's there. But it's just there. What about the distinctions and the differences here? I mean, there's an old hokey saying. It says, uh, oh, to live above with those we love, oh, that would be glory for me. But to live below with those I know, well, that's another story. <laughs> In other words, the people we're closest to that we rub shoulders with, this is where the differences, the diversity bug us. And most of us here, including me, I have to, I have to fight against this, the most of us here, the people you hang with, the people you're connected with, and it's good to have close friends. That's why we have small groups, you know. But they're really a lot like us. They like the same movies, same music, same tastes, and it gets comfortable. And it's really, really hard for us to, to rub shoulders, I mean, genuinely embrace. That's why I said the word accept in our ears is too trite. To embrace is to put an arm around. To embrace is to, to value the distinctives, not the foundations of the gospel, but to, to value the things that are different in you as much as I value those things that are different in me and, and, and get our arms around that with people. And, and everybody's got a story. Some happy stuff goes on, some terrible stuff goes on. But, if, but if, I, if I'm just tuned in with my ears and my heart to people who are just like me, I won't really ever hear those stories. If I do, they'll go in one ear and out the other. They'll go in passing. But people want to be heard. I want to be heard. And people want to be heard. And they need to be heard by those of us who have experienced grace and experienced the gospel. Not to pass judgment on, on you ought to do this the way I do it. No, 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 that, no that, that's not accepting diversity in them. But to allow them to be connected with God through our relationship with them. Um, I was thinking this week, I don't know why this popped into my head, maybe because we had uh, my uh, daughter's family was with us 4th of July and they got the young grandkids, uh, preschoolers, our youngest grandkids. So maybe that's why I was thinking this week when they left of uh, nursery rhymes. But remember Humpty Dumpty who sat on a wall? Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty together again. Well, the rhyme starts with what happened. In other words, we know the story. But what if you just ran across this guy who was all cracked up and smashed and kind of looked like an egg, real dumpy, and you didn't know the backstory. You didn't know what happened. You'd be like, man, this guy, i got to get him to church. That poor guy's, oh, I'm going to walk the other way. But if you knew the story, 
if you knew what had caused this guy to get in that condition. You know, we used to use that phrase, you don't hear it a whole lot anymore, walk a mile in my shoes. Well, I got to hear where you've been walking. Got to listen for that. And we are enriched through diversity. In, in chapter 12, of the book of Romans, where, where Paul is setting up a little bit of teaching on the differences, diversity, and spiritual gifts. He says in chapter 12 and verse 4, just as we have many members in one body, and all the members don't have the same function, we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. I think the NIV says uh, we belong to one another. That is, whether you like me or not, I'm in your family. And whether I like you or not, I'm in your... You know, our, uh, I've got five and a half grandkids. I don't know how the half's going to come out, but I know the other five are nothing like their grandpa. But I sure love them. Brenda and I, by the grace of God, will we'll be around for a couple more months, and in September we will have been married 40 years. 40 years. And what we've been doing kind of is, Brenda's prompted this more than me. I think that's because she's more sensitive. <laughs> but, but periodically, you know, even thinking about it, We'll just stop and we'll look at each other and, and, and she'll say, uh, I can hardly believe we've been married almost 40 years. We are so different. You know, she doesn't say, I, you know, it's not surprising we're together 40 years because we have all the same interests and tastes and styles. No, no, we always say, because we're so different. Uh, we had some friends uh, that actually we've known for more than 40 years uh, came to town and were visiting with us uh, the last couple of days. And last night, we're cooking out on the grill, and I look at Glenn, and I, I said, Glenn, I said, aren't you glad that you and Andrea didn't get divorced like 20 years ago? Can you imagine what my life would be like in yours if, if we had not gotten to this stage of life? Now, why did we do that if we were so different? In fact, early in our marriage, uh, nobody ever taught me how to be a good husband, and I wasn't. I mean, I wasn't, like, abusive. I just wasn't a good husband. Brenda should have divorced me back then. We had a we, and we really had a pretty terrible early years. Not pleasant early years. And you know why we stuck together? Because of the foundation. We had a Bible. We had God's authority. The basic, the real basic is God hates divorce. The real basic is you forgive. The real basic is you keep your commitments. The real basic is even when you stray from God, you keep coming back because you've got those principles in the Word of God, you come back to that foundation. Now, we're not in the next couple months going to suddenly be just like each other. But when she sees me kind of dumpy looking with scars, and I've fallen by the wayside, she'll listen to the story that got me there. And then we can come under the grace and umbrella of God and thank him for his grace and his goodness and holding us together and putting my pieces back together in my life. And I wonder if you can do that with your kids and your spouse and your coworker and the neighbor. In fact, it's interesting, this word, uh, the, the Greek word in uh, chapter 15 and verse 7 for accept one another has a Greek synonym uh, that Paul uses uh, back in chapter uh, 10 uh, where he's pouring out his heart not only for God, what God's planning to do with the Jews, his, his brethren in the flesh, because he's Jewish, but he pours out his own passion and heart for them to be saved. And he uses this same word except for them uh, in, uh, when he says, you know, they at one time rejected the gospel, but now the Gentiles were in. So he says in verse 15 if they're of chapter 11, 
If their rejection be the reconciliation for the rest of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? That word acceptance is, is the same, it's a, as I said, a synonym with this other word accept, and it means God's going to embrace them too. And, and what Paul does in this section, in fact, is he keeps showing us he leans into those relationships with unbelievers. Can you remember? I, I think if, if, if a couple of people, two in particular, had not leaned into my life to hear my broken story before I was a believer, when my values and my system were nothing like theirs, they stayed at their ground. In other words, they stayed on stable ground. They didn't shrink to my broken world values and my poor, sick lifestyle, but they listened just like Jesus did. Listen to those stories. There was an embrace. There was an embrace. And because they listened to my story, it was a channel for Jesus and the truth of the gospel to touch me. And the reality is for most of us, in fact, statistics share out, I think, it, I think it's roughly three years now. If you've been saved three years, you have no, zero, count them, the numbers, well, you don't count, it's a zero. You don't count, zero. You have no non-Christian friends. I'm not saying you don't talk to them at work. Do you have any non-Christian friends? Well, no, they're not. Their values, their lifestyle. I'm not going to go to the bar till three in the morning. You're not being asked to go to the bar till three in the morning, but you're being asked to accept them, to, to love them into the kingdom of Jesus Christ, to dialogue, to talk. And if we don't do it, in fact, if we don't do it, newcomers coming into the church, um, you know, we had three less baptisms, so I got about four more minutes in this service than I had in last service. Because I didn't say this at first service. In the book of Acts, chapter uh, 2, you know that great passage at the end of chapter 2? Uh, Peter's been preaching, 3,000 people get baptized. And, and then it's like, now we're baptized, now we're saved, now what do we do? So they kept gathering together like we do week by week, because that's healthy. They kept gathering together, it says, because they were devoted. They, they had a practice of listening to the apostles' teaching. Now what was that? It was the preaching of the Word of God because it wasn't all written yet, so the authority instead of this Bible was their, was their lips that they had heard from the voice of Jesus. So they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to prayer, the breaking of bread, the communion times together, right? Well, the rest of the, the next uh, four verses there say very little about the apostles' teaching because we go, well, I know what that is. They say very little about the prayer because we go, well, we know what that is. And they say very little about the breaking of bread because, well, we know what communion's like. The next couple of verses talk about the fellowship. It defines it. They were in and out of each other's homes. They were listening to stories. Now, this is, this is, this is when, when, when all the Jews came together from all over the world that were very diverse. They were coming from Asia. They were coming from up. In fact, it even says in Acts chapter uh, uh, 2, beginning of the chapter, they were, some of them were coming from Rome, this cosmopolitan city. They had different tastes and interests. They liked different kinds of food. But the believers were connecting with other believers. They were connecting with non-believers who were very diverse, and they didn't come and they say, you know, when you change your sandals, when you do it just like us, you're in the club. No, the church grew because they were anchored on the authority and the convictions of the Word of God as preached by Jesus and the apostles, and, and, and they embraced the diversity among them. And you and I need to do that. You and I need to do that. When I was, uh, yeah, I think I have time. When I, when I was like in fourth or fifth grade, there were a couple of other kids on our block with the same name as me. They were named Dave. So uh, we started the Dave Club. 
And, and the only requirement to be in the club was you had to have the name Dave. <laughs> it was really difficult when one of our good friends, Donna, she was a super tomboy, but she was a good friend, and she really wanted in the club, so finally we just said, okay, we'll make it the D club. Isn't that what a lot of churches are like? Is that what your life is like? If that's what your life is like, then you need to go back and read chapter 15 and verse 7. Accept one another. Embrace diversity. Why? Because Christ has accepted you. And we're supposed to love one another as ourselves. And they say, wait a minute, I kind of like who I am. I need to love other people with it, right? To reach out to them. And accept one another as Christ has accepted. Now, the New American Standard says, has accepted us to the glory of God. Most of the other translations say accepted you to the glory of God. It's a manuscript you know, distinction. doesn't really mean anything different. You know, God has accepted us. He's accepted you. He's accepted me. He's accept- and if God has accepted you and me, we need to accept others. And, and, and I just want to hit this for a couple of minutes, but I think this is vital. Some of us have not embraced the diversity in us. That is, you have not truly accepted who God has made you to be. Now, parents pour this into their kids. And, and Carrie, I know you guys do this with your kids. You know, you pour, that we love you and you're just the way you are. But some of us as adults, you, you're in your 50s. And you're trying to be like everybody else to be accepted. God accepts the diversity, but you're trying to just be like everybody else and look like everybody else because it's just, it's easier, it's more comfortable, makes you feel good. You need to accept the diversity that God wired into you. And when I am secure in who I am, not being compared to anybody else, their last name, the trajectory of their lives, the when and where they were born, The only difference between me and you and the people in the Philippines and the people who were born during the Renaissance and in Jesus' day and that will come after us if the Lord so tarries is when and where God decided we'd be born. You know that wonderful passage in in, in Psalm 139, fearfully and wonderfully made, knit together in your mother's womb. The very next section says, all the days that were ordained for us, God set out. That is, he said, this is when you'll be born, this is when you will die, God set that out. In the book of Acts, chapter 17, when Paul is at Mars Hill, and, uh, uh, and, and he's preaching the gospel there, and, and he says, you know, from one man and woman, God made all the people on the planet of the earth. And he did this. He, he set out their exact boundaries, the time and place they'd be born. He set out their exact boundaries, the place they'd be born, so that they would be able to reach out and touch God and find him because he's not very far from any, any of them. The reason you and I have been born, the time, place, status, we've been born, and everyone else on the planet, is because God felt that would be the best posturing place for them to find him because he loves everybody in the world. And if he felt I would be more sensitive and more receptive to his voice in China, I'd be Chinese. If he felt I would be more sensitive and receptive to his voice in the Philippines 30 years ago, that's when I would have been. And the same with you. And, ex- and you say, okay, time and place again. But you know what? I don't like that I'm bald or the shape of my nose. I don't like my IQ. 
Well, didn't Moses complain about that back in Exodus chapter 4 when God says, I want you to go back? He says, well, I can't speak very well. And God says, wait a minute, who made man's mouth or his ears? Who made him seeing, blind? And there's some terrible stuff. You, you say, my, my health, my finances, you don't know this. And, no, I don't know, but if we had time, I'd like to hear the backstory. But God loves you in your mess, and he loves you in your diversity and your uniqueness. And this world is not all there is. It's not going to all be fair and work out now, but the cross isn't fair either. And he set it up so that we can respond and have a perfect forever. This side of heaven, he wants relationships with us and with everybody else we can touch. And what you and I need to do to be able to reach out freely to everybody else, to listen to their story, and not, and not slide into either judging their behaviors or, or kind of, well, you know, maybe Humpty shouldn't have been on the wall. Maybe it's your fault. Maybe you tried harder. Let's not, wait a minute, let God be God. If we're not going to do that, we have to embrace who, where, what we are. And friends, sometimes that's hard. And that might be where you're stuck today. I mean, you're having a problem crossing the aisle to somebody else because you're stuck there. Brennan Manning, in his wonderful book, Ruthless Trust, uh, I think states pretty well in this statement where he says, unwavering trust is a rare and precious thing because it often demands a degree of courage that borders on the heroic. When the shadow of Jesus' cross falls across our lives in the form of failure, rejection, abandonment, betrayal, unemployment, loneliness, depression, the loss of a loved one, when we're deaf to everything but the shriek of our own pain, when the world around us suddenly seems a hostile, menacing place, at those times we may cry out in anguish, how could a loving God permit this to happen? And at such moments, the seeds of distrust are sown. It requires heroic courage to trust in the love of God no matter what happens to us. Sometimes, friends, I, I have to do this. I've walked with the Lord since 1973, and periodically I just get to a place where I'm like Humpty Dumpty, and I'm off that wall somewhere, and sometimes I just have to say, Jesus, I love you. I know you love me. I know you've forgiven my sins. I don't know why I'm in this mess, or I don't know why she's in this. I don't know why I can't fix this problem for my son. I, uh, but God, I, but I trust you. God, I don't like this. God, I don't like what the... But God, I trust you. And when we come to that place of accepting the diversity of our life experiences, what waves over your soul is just so precious and good that I, it must be God's spirit, but he kind of sets you up to lean your ear into somebody else's story and help them to come to find out that there's a loving God who wants to secure them too. This next line by uh, Manning is uh, actually my favorite quote in the whole book, Ruthless Trust. It's my favorite quote. The splendor of a human heart, which trusts that it is loved, gives God more pleasure than Westminster Cathedral, the Sistine Chapel, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, Van Gogh's sunflowers, the sight of 10,000 butterflies in flight, or the scent of a million orchids in bloom. Trust is our gift back to God, and he finds it so enchanting. Trust is our gift back to God, and he finds it so enchanting that Jesus died for the love of it. Yes, he died for my sin, but that was just to bury my sin so, so he could love me. 
In essence, so, so technically, yes, he died for my sins, but what he died, he died for me. He died for you. So he could just love you and you could just love him. Isn't that the gospel? That's exactly it. Jesus loves me and he took care of my sin problems so we could have a relationship that would last forever. And that delights the heart of God. And when I lean into that, it delights my heart too. And then it's like you bump into some other people and you hear their story and they're desperate and you go, Jesus loves you. I can't fix it. I don't know why. I, yeah, I wish it was different. Friend, it'll be different in heaven. When we distribute shoeboxes, you know what? They're not going to suddenly uh, 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 get a college degree and a scholarship and get an apartment next to mine and make my income and dress like me. I may not even be able to promise them a better future. This side of heaven. But I can communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to be genuine. One more verse and then... Uh, for that to happen. Back in chapter 12 and verse 9, first part of the verse is, let love be without hypocrisy. See that in Romans 12, 9? Uh, the word uh, hypocrisy there was used in the first century. Uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, the Greek word there was used because uh, unscrupulous uh, pottery dealers like would break a plate or a pot or something and then they'd seal it with wax and paint over it. So the word literally means without wax. There's no cover-up. There's no mask. It's not fake. It's the real deal. Are you, this, are you the real deal with God? I mean, am I opening with God? Do I, do I trust the Lord? I mean, we all know he sees everything, but the vulnerability, the openness, unmasked before God, there's a trust and a love and a dynamic that goes on there, and that's what other people need from me and from you. They need to see the real me. And I need to see the real them because God does. And when we embrace the diversity, doing life together, I think God's heart just sings. Well, let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, we are so grateful that you love us. Uh, for all eternity, God, we're never going to have it figured out. We'll never know why. <laughs> We'll never know why, because we couldn't earn your love. But each person here is indescribably, immeasurably, unconditionally embraced by the living God. Friend, if you are struggling with the love of God, look at the cross and those outstretched arms. It wasn't nails that held his arms there. It was his love for you. And the risen Jesus embraces you today. He loves you today. He made you and placed you and, and formed you the way you are today because he loves you. And Jesus, we admit we have a hard time Say all, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those who love God when things aren't good. But God, we trust you and we love you. And everything that makes me unique and different, the diversity in me, God, I choose to accept it for your glory and for my good. God, by your good hand, help me, help us to get out of our comfort zones and risk a hand on a shoulder and risk a, an eliciting ear to someone else who's fallen off the wall. Someone else who has a story that needs to know the love of Jesus. And probably their story will be nothing like mine and they won't be like me. 
And God, that's just how you planned it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.